Good morning, ladies. It's an honour and a privilege to bring you God's word this morning. So Ephesians 3, there is so much in this chapter, so, so much. We could study it for a month and probably still not be through it. It is the most beautiful chapter and I just love it. It's one of my favourites. So have you ever been in the middle of telling someone something and then you forget something and you quickly tell them about something else and you go, oh, before I forget, I've got to tell you that. And then somebody else says, oh, well, yeah, I've got to tell you this too. And all this babble and chitter-chatter goes on. I'm sure this happened during lockdown when you met up for the first time. Well, going off track is something that Paul does. He starts to say one thing, but he gets excited and sidetracks with another thing. And then he comes back to the first thing. So he starts off with prayer, and then he goes to the mystery of Christ, then he comes back to prayer, then he comes back to Gentiles and Jews worshipping together in a church. He's very, very excited as to what God has revealed to him. And I'm sure we've all had circumstances like that where we can understand the excitement and the babble and, and getting off track and coming back on. So let's look at Ephesians 3 today, 1 to 21. Let's look at Paul, the most amazing man, I think. In chapters 1 and 2, Paul shares a lot of theology and deep truth regarding salvation, the church and the availability of the salvation to the Gentiles. Now, in chapter 3, Paul gets a little more personal. He's going to talk about his calling and how God is working through him. And then he focuses on the mystery of Christ. We see that Paul begins to tell the Ephesian church about something related to his imprisonment. Remember, he is in jail while writing this letter. You will notice that he says, I am a prisoner of Christ, of Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul doesn't say he's a prisoner of the Roman Empire or to local authorities, or to Jewish leaders. Paul says he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He also says he is a prisoner on behalf of the Gentiles, because remember, he was witnessing to the Gentiles. He is totally in love with and devoted to Jesus, and he is doing what he is called to do. He doesn't want any sympathy. He's not an attention seeker. He counts it as pure joy to be imprisoned for Christ. Now, we've been imprisoned in our homes during lockdown. Imagine being in prison for way more than 18 weeks, to be in one room on a cold, hard floor, probably no ventilation and no air, but he finds joy in that because he is right with God. He is in tune with God. He is close to God. And God sustains him and gives him peace. He is imprisoned way more than we were imprisoned in lockdown. At least we could still go to the supermarket. He couldn't do anything. 
But then he sidetracks and jumps to talking about the mystery of Christ. He says, let me tell you about the mystery of Christ. He's excited, he's passionate, and he's elated about this news. Why wouldn't he be? Not just the Jews can be saved and have eternal life, the Gentiles can too. This is great news for the Gentiles. Now, this was not known in other generations. Nobody knew this mystery until this point in Scripture. The Jews had lived for many years knowing they were God's chosen race. And their arrogance grew from this because they really thought that they were better and, whoa, we're God's chosen race. Like, how good are we? And their ego grew from it. Their arrogance grew from it. But so did their disobedience and rebellion. They really needed to be brought down a peg or two. So more than half of the Old Testament was about the Jews being dominated by other Gentile nations because of their rebellion. Their view of coming, the coming Messiah was therefore that he would deliver them from the Gentile domination and put them back as the leading nation. Instead, the traditional Jews killed their Messiah and King and to this day still don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They still think their Messiah is yet to come. When Jesus returns in all his glory and the Jews see him with the holes in his hands and in his feet where he was crucified, they will be devastated. They will drop to their knees. They'll be in shock. They won't be in a good place because they realised they have killed their king. They got it wrong. He wasn't just some impersonator. He wasn't some troublemaker that the Jews thought Jesus was. He was their king and they killed him. When the church age began, a Gentile could choose to follow the Jewish faith, but it meant that they would have to take on all Jewish practices according to Jewish law, including circumcise their sons, not eating any unclean meat, and many other laws. Up until this time, God had kept them from them. No previous generation knew of this, and it was a mystery to the Gentiles as to why only the Jews could be saved. However, in God's perfect timing, the 11th hour, as he always works, by the Holy Spirit, Paul, his holy apostles, and his prophets, now all three of them, received revelation that when Jesus was crucified and shed his blood, it was for all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. So the prophets and the apostles and Paul all found out at the same time. Christ's gift of sacrifice at Calvary broke the wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles. The wall came tumbling down. Paul relayed the message that there was to be no prejudice between Jew, Gentile, slave, female or male. All in the church, we are all the family of Christ Jesus. The Gentiles' acceptance of God's grace was astounding. Their gratefulness and joy. But the Jews' world was rocked in disbelief and their arrogance dwindled quite fast. 
the church, the body of believers redeemed by Christ, Jew and Gentile alike, have eternal roots. It is part of God's eternal plan of God the Father, who he is. If we go back in time to the place where the Godhead was put together for the plan, for the whole world, you can see the pattern and idea God had for the church. There were three things that were part of God's mysterious plan. One, the Father planned it. Two, the Son implemented it. And three, the Spirit empowered it. All part of God's original plan. Believers cannot say they don't need the church or a church family to support them and provide a place for them to serve and grow. It's how God wants his church to be. He wants to bless the church. He wants us to love each other, to pray biblically strong messages. He wants us to serve. He wants us to help out when someone's sick or grieving or in pain. Wherever there is a need, God calls us to serve as he served without any thanks. Just humbly serve. Discipling the spiritually young, that's one of the main things the church needs to do. We need to disciple new Christians. We need to disciple, disciple and disciple and teach until they are strong enough to go out and teach somebody else. That is the basis of what God wants his church to do. Disciple the spiritually young and lead and grow everyone till their faith is strong enough that they then can go out and do the same for others and multiply and multiply, save souls. Paul goes on to say that he is the least of all the saints. His humble attitude should awaken us to being humble too, just like him. God is showing Paul grace and then showing grace to others through Paul. It's a big grace multiplication party. Hands up if you think you're a reasonably humble person. Hands up if you are better at humility than you used to be. Hands up if you still have a way to go. Hands up if you're willing to hand over your humility to God and ask him to help you become as humble as Paul. Can't see your hands, ladies, but there's a couple going up in here. Good to see. He is concerned that due to his imprisonment, the Ephesians may become discouraged and overwhelmed. Most people have experienced a spirit of discouragement at some stage in their life and more than one. It can just zap us of our inner vitality in a way that makes us just want to slump over in a heap. So Paul prays that God will empower them with inner strength in their spirit, in their soul, in here. God's resources are vast as he is able to change situations and circumstances to heal and to come out one way better. One way or the other, he'll teach us something through it. Never underestimate God and what he can do. Ladies, never put God in a box. I've learnt the hard way. 
because he'll outdo you every time. He is God, and we need to respect that highly. Pastor Matthew McCall from the United States says, even though Paul was imprisoned, he is also simultaneously seated with Jesus in the heavenlies because he is in Christ. And so are we. Not only should we come before God because he is king, but also because he is the giver of life to all. Paul goes on to say that all people of earth owe their existence to God. Everything that has breath and life in heaven and on earth owes its very heartbeat to God, who is father of all things. So not only is our salvation found from God, but also our createdness is owed to God the creator, the one from whom every family on earth is named, every family, every person, every nation owes their very existence to God. Verse 17 says, Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust him. So God lives in here. I think this is a beautiful verse. The creator of the world, his son who died for our forgiveness, the one who we will spend eternity with, wants to make a home in your heart and in my heart. Like, does that blow you away? It blows me away. Wow. He wants to live inside our soul. Do you trust him? Do you hand over your troubles for him to take care of and leave it there? Or do you hand it over then take it back? Does your impatience get the better of you? So you think you can do a better job than God and a quicker job because you're impatient? Uh Uh-uh. Think again. He will always know better than us. His timing is always perfect. He's never early, but he's never late. Way better than you and I could ever predict. Now, Paul fell to his knees and prayed that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant them to be strengthened in their inner being and they would grow in faith and in love for one another. We need to follow this example in our lives. We need to put our faith into action. How many Christians say they're believers, they say they have faith, but when they crumble and life goes bad, I don't see their inner strength. Where is their inner strength to know that God has got it? Now, it's a process as we grow, that trust grows implicitly, and our inner strength grows. But sometimes I I hear a Christian talk and I think, where is your inner strength? And I've done that myself for years and years. Well, I've had a family drama this week that has gutted me. Words that have been cruel. I've been criticised. I've been stripped. I've been hammered verbally. My faith has been mocked and laughed at. Satan has had a field day with me this week. It's been awful. It's been painful. And I'm not quite sure how I'm going to get through it, to tell you the truth. But I will with God. 
Much of it is unnecessary because I'm on a different page to that person in my family. But I live for an audience of one. My God. My sustainer, my protector, the Lord of my life. It is not easy when you are persecuted for your faith. During this ordeal, which is still going on, and I think it's going to be here for quite a while, I have felt God's mercy and grace in the peace I feel knowing that this is deeper than, and the person is more troubled than they know they are. I was the firing block. I have surrendered it to God and I am being still awaiting for him to work it out and bring peace and unity again in his timing. But I have to stand firm in what I believe. When we go through these times, it's always good to ask God, what do you want me to learn through this? Show me anything I've done wrong or said wrongly. Forgive me for my part. I've had to hold on to my inner strength in God this week in every way I know how. I have never, ever felt the inner strength of my faith like I have this week. I realise I've grown. God has grown me so much. And the inner strength I feel, I think, wow, Lord, I finally am here. I understand that it's here, that it's strong. Even though I was hurt and rocked, I didn't fall down. I didn't crumble. I'm upset. But I have at last, after 25 years of walking with the Lord, that's how long it's taken, know what Paul means when he's talking about inner strength. I finally, finally found it. And wow, it's good. It's good. And I pray that each and every one of you, if you haven't already, and I'm sure many already have, but for those who haven't found it yet, I pray that you find it because it's magnificent. We are made up of body, spirit and soul. Paul explains that he is praying for the inner man for these Ephesian people. Paul knows the strength of his inner self because he has got it. He is solid with God. His trust in God is implicit. His inner strength is grounded and rooted in God's love like a massive tree that roots go down so deep. It's solid, locked in that soil, so when a wind comes, those roots keep it from falling over. He also prays that his strength will be given according to the riches of God's glory. I love that. The riches of God's glory. God is glorious. He has all power. And in it, God who grants or gifts the Christian with strength in their inner man. It is true that we must make effort in our Christian life and do the responsible things that God expects us to do, and we have to do our part. But we are to toil, not as independent and self-sufficient creatures, but as creatures who are always and ever dependent on God for all things. This is the way Paul spoke of his own strivings concerning his gospel ministry. He said, for I toil, struggling with all God's energy, that he powerfully works within me. 
Notice this, Paul toiled, but he toiled with God's energy, not on his own. And so should we, with God's energy. He walks by our side. It's way easier when we try and do it our own, on our own, because we can do what we want, when we want, if we want, how we want. Many unbelievers out there are doing it. But when we do it through God as believers and not on our own, it's way easier. Paul goes on to say that the power in our life is from God working through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is our helper. I just love the presence of the Holy Spirit. I think he's awesome, magnificent, wonderful. We hang out together quite a bit. Just love him. Paul wants the Ephesians to know that Christ's spirit is available to dwell in their hearts. Go from here back to here. We're talking a lot about the heart and the soul today. But that's where it's got to get to. For many years it was here for me. But finally it's here. Pay careful attention to the word dwell. There's a theme developing in Ephesians and that is the theme of temple. Earlier in this epistle, Jewish and Gentile believers were said to be stones in God's temple with the apostles and prophets being foundation stones and Christ himself was the cornerstone, the cornerstone that holds up the building. What is a temple except a, a dwelling place for God? A place where man enjoys communion with God. Here Paul's prayer is that by God's grace we will be strengthened in the inner man through the spirit so that Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith. He prayed that we would be strengthened in the faith to function as a temple for Christ. Notice that Christ is said to dwell in our hearts by faith. It can only happen by faith. Faith is the instrument by which Christ is received and faith itself is a gift from God. Christ is not received by works, but by faith alone, so that no man may boast. We are nothing unless God is within us and works within us. We're nothing. It is all to his glory in how he changes us, in our sanctification process, how he leads and guides and gives us his gifts. We are nothing without him. Do you feel privileged, ladies? You have been given the gift of faith. That's why you're listening today. That's why you come to church, because you want to hear God's word. Because you believe and because you've taken acceptance of God's love into your heart. There are many out there in the world that don't know God. They have not been given the gift of faith or not accepted it if he has knocked on the door. Many reject this gift. They don't want to go there. So let me ask you a question. If you've got a pen and paper, write this down because I would encourage you to really reflect on this through the week. Are you being strengthened in your inner man today? In this era of your life, answer for yourself. Are you being strengthened in your inner man? 
Is your faith growing or is your faith stagnant? Is your love for Christ getting stronger? Is he dwelling in your heart or only in your head? Are you living in obedience to his commandments? Are your roots growing deep down into God's love and keeping you strong and stable? Ladies, if your answer to any of these questions is no, then I urge you to get serious with God, work it out with him, do some self-work and work on yourself and change those answers from no to yes. And finally, one of the most nurturing, endearing, beautiful verses of scripture says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people how wide, how long, how high and how deep is God's love for us. Paul's prayer is that we would know something that is beyond knowledge in verse 19. How is this possible? Well, it's possible to know something truly without knowing it exhaustively. We can grasp, grasp something, but at the same time acknowledge that the thing is deeper than we can grasp. Many things to pertain in God and our redemption in Christ are like this. We don't fully understand everything. They're the secrets of God. And we're not meant to know all his secrets. Otherwise, we'd be on the same level as God, and we're not. But one day, when in heaven, we might find the answers to those questions we ask. In Christ, we know God truly, but do we know him exhaustively? Though we know him truly and even call him Father, he is beyond us still. Our minds are finite, he is infinite. With God's help, we can grasp it, but the true breadth and length and height and depth of his love is beyond our ability to fully comprehend it. Have you paused to contemplate the love the Father has lavished upon you through Jesus Christ? Have you slowed down enough during lockdown to spend a lot of time with God and reflect upon your helpless condition and the grace that God has shown you in your life? Have you considered how rich you are in Christ? Have you considered how blessed you are to have your sins washed away? Truly blessed? Do you realise how rich your inheritance is? I hope that during the coming week, you may spend time answering all these questions in reflection upon these truths as Paul has presented them in this wonderful book of Ephesians. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, lover of our soul, protector, our provider, our Lord and Saviour, thank you for Paul and his wise words. Thank you for your gift of salvation. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for each and every one of us. Thank you for the precious Holy Spirit. Lead, guide and bless each person listening today to grasp how wide from one side of the universe right across to the west, right across to the east, as deep as the ocean, 
right to the bottom of the ocean where it goes no further. From the tip of the northern galaxy to the tip of the southern galaxy. High above the clouds, high above, through the sky, through space, through the heavens, up to the third heaven that the Bible talks about. Imagine all that space within those things and that's how big your God's love is for you. Grasp it today, people. Grasp it, enjoy it and be thankful. Thank you so much, Father God. We love and adore you. We lift you up and praise your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.